everybody to the Cycling Tips Tour Daily Podcast. I am Kaylee Fretz, and we are in Saint Etienne. Saint Etienne. Uh, it's an interesting spot here. This <laughs> is interesting town, I would say. Johnny, can you set the scene for me? Where where are we at this particular moment? We're on the sort of upper deck of a courtyard outside of an art market pop-up food court i think is how you would describe it there's inside there's a, yeah there's a lot of wood paneled uh things and uh, brand names in nice fonts so you know it's good for our boulder colorado based audience it is rosetta hall right. in france if you're if you're from london it is like a nicer version of box park what about Melbourne? If you're in Melbourne, it's the Emporium Food Court, uh, the, the new shopping centre just near David Jones. Is there an equivalent in Paris, Josh? Um, well, yeah, we just call it Paris. Uh, <laughs> God damn. Of course that was going to be the Paris answer. <laughs> well, you just heard uh, the pod crew for tonight. You heard Johnny Long there. You heard Ian Treller. And for the first time, this Tour de France, because, well, you just recently got on the Tour de France, Josh. Joshua Robinson from the Wall Street Journal. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back for the first time in three years. I think, yeah, I, I, you have to go quite far back in the podcast history to to get a bunch of Josh. Uh, it was pre-COVID, the last time that we made podcasts together, but you were, you were a staple for a little while there. Well, there were some stories that merited some discussion. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, mainly the, uh, the paint patrol. <laughs> The Dung Patrol. We call it the Dung Patrol. Yes, pe people have called them other things. <laughs> we even made you a mug for that. That's true. Can I have, uh, an, can I have an explainer and maybe catch up other new listeners? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we can go off tangent or we can go off, off piste a bit here uh, before we get into what happened in today's stage, which was interesting and hot, and we will talk about it. But first and foremost, Josh, you wrote... Um, truly one of the greatest stories ever written about the Tour de France a couple years ago, which was about the dudes who go and paint over the dongs painted on the road. Yeah, this is a, a two-man crew. One of them is an undertaker in his day job. And they drive the stages before uh, the riders go over them, making sure that the paint on the road is TV appropriate. It's often not. Uh, there are political slogans that they just paint over, but there's also male anatomy that that is not popular with the pay, with the viewers of France Television, and so they go over and you know improvise. So they'll take these uh, illustrations and turn them into butterflies. <laughs> oh wow! So they're artists in their own right. Truly, I like that. They build on what's come before them. That's maybe the wrong choice of words. <laughs> It's quite a dongy day now that we've brought this up uh, because we're, we're also reeling from the, the news about another dong, uh, the Magnus Court dong, uh, which, according to a column that he wrote in Danish, uh, Danish media at BT, uh, <laughs> he windmills around whilst listening to Ramstein and then sends Snapchat video of that to his friends. So from one dong to another, it's good to have you back, Josh. <laughs> uh, I just wish someone were painting over it. What a what a start to the podcast! What a fantastic start to the podcast! Well, like I said, you, you've you've now met everybody around the table here. Uh, although Mikey is here as well, uh, who we were briefly introduced to last night. Mikey, just say hello. The fans want more Mikey, uh, but today you didn't see anybody having sex in the woods, so I'm not sure you're invited on. Before we move on to the rest of the episode, 
We are supported today by Velocio Apparel. Velocio Apparel is driven to find a better way in cycling apparel from unrivaled performance to sustainable fabrics. Velocio guarantees it will improve your cycling experience or you can return it for a full refund. Try any Velocio apparel piece and return it for a full refund, no questions asked, for 30 days if you aren't completely satisfied. Listeners, that means you, can try Velocio right now using the code CYCLINGTIPS20 for 20% off your first order. That is CYCLINGTIPS20. Learn more at Velocio.cc. Velocio is spelled, in case you're wondering, V-E-L-O-C-I-O dot C-C. Go check it out. Thanks to Velocio for sponsoring today's episode. Let's get into... <laughs> let's get into today's stage. Johnny, can you give me the rundown, please? A fairly pedestrian day from the standards of the, the past few it was a breakaway day today. Bike Exchange worked to try and bring the breakaway back, but unfortunately you had the likes of Philippe Ogana, Stefan Kung, Mads Pedersen, Fred Wright in there, who are powerful riders enough to sort of keep away. Interesting point as well that Fred Wright said about the hot days. In the breakaway, it's much better to be in the breakaway on a day like this because you have your team car there who can just give you as many bosses as you want, as much ice as you want, so it's actually way easier to keep cool if you're not in the breakaway. So it's sort of an added incentive. You'd think you'd just be out there left to fry, but... Um, yeah, that, I mean, if you're in the middle island. of the peloton, getting back to your team car is kind of a, it's a process. Yeah. Whereas if you're in the break, it's just yeah, right it's there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Yeah. So that, there's a breakaway group of six that then split up towards the end where you had Mads Pedersen, Fred Wright, and Hugo Hall from Israel Premotech. Breakaway, contest the victory. It came down to a sprint. Mads Pedersen, the former world champion, won. That was kind of the result everyone expected when, when it was that chair that went away. Stefan Kung, Matej Jorgensen, Philippe Ganner taking four, five, and six. And then Peloton five minutes back, so no big changes on GC really. Tade Pogaccia described it as a relaxed day. Jonas Vingegaard said much the same. Caleb Ewan fell down. Caleb, that was, you know, it's sad that that was the, the, main, the main talking point of the day because it, things are just not going right for him. It's tough to watch because he is a likable guy. Yeah. And just. And Lotto needs some points. They need points, they need morale, they need. Wins, they need stage win. They need, they need anything but a crash. Yeah, and, I, and actually the, the, the Caleb Ewan stage win had a... Did I just say Caleb Ewan stage win? The Caleb Ewan, not stage win, the Caleb Ewan crash had a, a more dramatic impact on the stage itself because it was more than just him losing out and his team losing out. It basically guaranteed the breakaway was going to win because Lotto immediately stopped pulling. And then it was basically down just to to Alpeson. And that they, they just essentially did not have enough enough firepower to pull the brake back. And that's actually part of the reason why we can get into some of the sort of weirdness happening with directors and team cars and things back behind. Part of the reason why you might have seen the Alpeson team car pacing Caleb Ewan back to the Peloton is because without Caleb Ewan in the Peloton, Lotto ain't pulling. And without Lotto pulling, they were pretty sure that they weren't going to end up with a sprint, which meant that Alpeson's Jasper Philipson would not get a chance at the stage win either. So just kind of an interesting little little moment there where, the, like I said, the Alpeson team car was pulling Caleb Ewan back to the peloton. Behind that, apparently, allegedly, according to French television, the lotto car was blocking the commissaire from getting up and seeing this. 
Commissaire eventually gets up, starts yelling at the Alpecin car, and leaves Caleb Ewan on his own. But, but two opposing sprint teams working together today to get one of the key sprinters back into the group just so that they could then resume chasing and hopefully pull that breakaway back. You say that the commissaire was yelling. I, I think you're neglecting to mention that it was the most French moment of all time. There were very French hand gestures. There was gesticulation. There was a lot of, a lot of body talk between the two um, provocateurs in the situation. And a quite Italian little, uh, little there's, there's an finger, emoji for it finger now. wag. There, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's an actual emoji for this now. It's the best the, one. Uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a joyful moment for me to watch. The thing is, the, the sprint from the peloton was won by Wout van Aert, so they, they could have brought it back. They could have worked really hard to close the gap, and then Wout van Aert wins another stage. So maybe it was better for those teams that they didn't do that, and then just suffer the heartbreak once again of the yellow jersey team and the green jersey team winning yet another stage. Can we talk about Mads Pedersen for a moment? Sure. Yeah. It was. He did win the bike race. He, he did. <laughs> yes. He won the day. And I, I think that this was a nice win because he was trying really hard for about three stages in Denmark to get the win. He was one of the favorites for the, the win in the opening time trial and uh, was a little bit gutted that he didn't get it. I think he finished fifth or thereabouts. Um, 12 seconds off the yellow jersey. He really wanted the yellow jersey and so did all of Denmark um, on the opening stage. Uh, but now he's, he's, got his, he's got his stage win, albeit not in Denmark, and it's an impressive victory uh, to build upon a number of victories for Danish riders in this tour. It's a, they're a pretty good cycling nation. It's three out of the last four, yeah. and, the, and they got the yellow jersey. Can, can I do a, a very old corrections corner? Please. Yeah. Uh, at the World Championships in Harrogate, I was making a podcast, I believe with Shoddy Dave, and it might just been the two of us, actually. I can't remember. Anyway, we were sitting there as Miss Peterson and Matteo Trenton were in the sort of final breakaway group that was, that was going to contest for the World Championship that year. And we were sitting there, and we didn't really know that much about Mess Peterson at that point because he was really quite young and hadn't won a whole lot yet. And we were looking at that group and saying, Matteo Trenton is obviously the best sprinter in this group. And I would like to issue a, a recall of that because Mess Peterson is a very, very good sprinter. And we were very wrong about that. Is that a recall or a formal apology to Mads Peterson? It's a formal apology to Mess Peterson for not knowing that he was as fast as he is in sprints. Because today, three years ago. <laughs> three years ago. Today, in the breakaway, I mean, it was, it was essentially a foregone conclusion when they came to the line that he was going to win that one. That's like when 1969, when the New York Times issued a correction on a decades-old story saying that landing on the moon was impossible. Yeah, I mean, they're of equal weight, I would say. Uh, that, that correction and this correction, I just, I've always felt bad about it because I, I distinctly remember getting that one. And actually, very much to her credit, Abby Mickey was the other one on that, on that podcast that day. And she called mess out of the breakaway. And the rest of us were like, you are a crazy woman, Abby Mickey. And she wasn't. Turns out she actually knew what she was talking about. I have a bone to pick with Abby Mickey. So I, I, I still, still think she's wrong, even though she is right. <laughs> Did Abby make fun of your haircut today? Uh, yeah. Said it like I cut it with a bowl. <laughs> Which I immediately texted her, being like, with no, with no sort of... Um, hesitancy despite her being a new mother just text her like excuse me what's going on 
Um, but then I did see the video and I agree with her. And now I'm having to I'm having to deal with that myself. And Ian also thought that he, he said tonight when he met me that I was taller than he'd imagined. So I'm processing a lot today. On the on the hair front, I will say that it's a trick of the light. It's not that your haircut looks like it was cut around a bowl. It's that your uh, frosted tips look like they're dyed around a bowl. Bringing it back to the bike race. <laughs> Out of the the breakaway today, Mads Pedersen easily has the best hair, I reckon. So maybe if we're mm. doing a hair sort of day. I, I don't think I've seen Fred Wright's hair underneath that helmet yet. I don't think I've it's seen it. It's quite short and normal. He does have two small hooped earrings, though, which oh. lets you know he's 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 about it. Hmm. And and the last man in that group, Hugo Hull, uh, Le Québécois. Oh, yeah. What uh, what does his hair look like? Should we, should we find out quickly? Uh... Oh, boring. Normal. Boring. Boring hair. I feel like Felipe Gana has good hair. pretty straight down the Felipe line. Felipe Gana has great hair. Mess Peterson has great hair. Wow, Van Aert, seventh, but he probably has... What is that? Has anyone ever known what that thing is in his hair, the streak? Is that a dyed thing or like a birthmark? Oh, it, of course Ian knows. <laughs> it's not a dyed thing. It, it would be a, a very weird dye quirk, I think. But no, it's a, it's a... I don't know if it's a birthmark, but there's a, there's a patch where there's uh, no pigmentation in his hair. Interesting. I mean, his hair is superb. <laughs> I'm so glad we had the one guy, the one guy here on the podcast that wouldn't answer that question. It's a, it's a treat. I know my beat. <laughs> but also, as an Australian, you might remember the tennis player Pat Rafter, who had a patch like that in his hair. Not at the front. That was uh, like yeah. a back, yeah. back right, Correct. maybe. Correct. Yeah. Well, he is now a, um, like an ambassador for a major underwear company called Bonds. So they just wheel him out from time to time just wearing boxer briefs. And it's just, just him with uh, a rapidly growing dad bod. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I guess he... I'm here to just spur non-cycling digressions. <laughs> We've talked about the moon and Australian Wimbledon like champions. It. Well, let's, let's be honest here. Let's be honest. We, we have some, we call them charitably transition stages <laughs> in the Tour de France. Uh, there's not a whole lot of GC narrative happening. There's just some very interesting sort of final moment, who's going to win the bike race kind of, you know, yeah, who's going to win the bike race? That, that, that's, that's always interesting. But there's not sort of broader narrative stuff to talk about really today. Uh, and it was just very hot and not, I don't want to say not particularly interesting because there's actually a bunch of things that happened today. But not as scintillating as, you know, a day in the Alps might be. Should we hear from the man who spent 149 kilometers out front today and yet came second? He, he's, been, he's had the second most breakaway kilometers of the race. He's got 404, so six more than Wout van Aert now, in, who's in third. But Magnus Court has 637 kilometers in, in the breakaway. And before anyone accuses me of being a massive nerd, I had to look out for a story. So that's how I know. And somehow I've retained those figures because of how little happened today. How many of Magnus Court's breakaway kilometers happened outside Denmark? Oh, I can find that. I can actually find that out for you fairly quickly. Because I think I think he was alone for like all of the tour in Denmark. Of that 637, 224 were in France. I did the math in math. I've been spending too much time with the Americans. So, I did the maths so in my head. The peloton didn't even know he was in the race until they saw him in France. Yeah, pretty much. Why, pretty is, much. why is math plural in British English? 
You know, I also, I also keep nearly calling it a gas station every time Ian in my raising brain. raising his hand like he's in maths class. The reason it's maths in British English, which is correct, is because it's not mathematic. It is mathematics. So why would it be math? That makes no sense, Kaylee. Ian, I've never, I've never been more happy to have you here at the Tour de France. I think that's more of a, a statement about how unhappy you are to have me at the Tour de France the rest of the time. You can read it one or two ways. I definitely didn't mean it like that. But yes, let's hear Magnus from Fred Wright. Yeah, let's hear from Fred Wright. Uh, congratulations, Fred. Where are the emotions at right now? I'm a bit gutted to be honest, but I mean, I tried. So second still pretty good, but you know, I wanted that. I wanted that win. Fair play to Matt, he was, he was super strong, so. You said you know, you said you know what you needed to do there when you came in. I mean, how, is it, was it just a case of Matt's being stronger or was there something you could have done differently on the run-in? I needed to attack on the last climb, but I just, that tempo was, that was as hard as I could go. And as soon as we got over it, I think that, that was me like, damn, I, I, it's gonna, gonna be a sprint and I'm not gonna be able to beat him, but. Nah, he, he was, the fact that, I just didn't think he was gonna attack at the start of that climb, and then, Obviously, you've got to follow, you know, and I did, but that then I couldn't I couldn't go any harder after that. So each time you're coming closer, each time you're making to break, you're coming closer. You learn yeah, every yeah. time. Yeah, definitely, definitely learning every time. I did it better this time than last time, and yeah, I'll do it better next time, and hopefully there will be a next time. Maybe not in this tour, but at some point there will be a next time. Can you just reflect on how far you've come since being at this race last year? I mean, you, you were here last year doing a solid job, but here you're here at the front being a real like antagonist. It's funny. It's funny. I don't think it's it's only small percentages. You know, you you're two percent better, and all of a sudden things get. You know, you're not just breathing so hard, so you can focus on on you know what tactics to play. So yeah, I think just that little bit of extra strength is what's helping me. But. Ah. I, I, I nearly did it. I what was it in the heat today? The heat was a factor. Oh, in the break when you got ice and bottles from the car, it's <laughs> actually easier than in the bunch. So. <laughs> so he's getting he's getting closer and closer to that stage victory. It's, it's cool when you sort of follow a rider for a bit. You know, as as a fellow Brit, you sort of see him him come up and get closer and closer. The first he's done three breakaway stages now. First one he gets caught just before the final climb. The second one to Majev makes the selection and a successful breakaway, and then now second. And I mean, maybe maybe we're focusing. Like I asked you when we we're at the buses, like, should I get another quote from him? Like, should we? Is that another story we want to cover? And you said, well, he's like a guy doing things this bike race, and these guys get their start somewhere, and that's how they become become I mean, top riders. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, that, that the, the Tour de France is the biggest stage, and everybody who came here, every single rider that's here, is in the best shape of their entire year. Right, And so if you are able to do things at this bike race, you're a pretty special rider, to be honest. And the fact that he's able to do things day after day after day means that he's a pretty special rider. He was, what, seventh at the Tour of Flanders this year, also indicates he's a pretty special rider. How old is he now? I think he's 23, 22, 23. He was the youngest at the Tour last year, so he's still, yeah. he's probably one of the youngest this year. So one of the youngest in the race, doing things like this. I mean, he's, he's just a name that we should that we should probably get used to, to be perfectly honest. He's, he's going to do some interesting things over the next 
The final Five, thing which speaks to how good he is is that walking through the buses today, spoke to Rod Ellingworth as we're after speaking to Fred Wright, and there's an exchange between him and the Bahrain, his former Bahrain colleagues. And from their exchange there and like talking about Fred Wright, you got the sense that Rod, when Fred's contract was up for renewal in the last off season, that Rod tried to make a move for Fred, but apparently he's very happy and like wants to reward the team that turned him pro. With another two years, but if if Ineos is sniffing around for you, then you're pretty good. You're pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not too surprising that he'd want to stay where he is because the other thing about Ineos is that, and we were talking about this with, in in the case of Owen Duell earlier today, it's pretty hard to make the Tour de France team at Ineos. And granted, it's probably easier now than it was five years ago, but it is still very difficult to make the Tour de France team at Ineos. It's it's a lot of firepower, and you're just more likely to to essentially get picked elsewhere. So. We saw riders like Owen Duell go to EF, essentially so he could ride Grand Tours. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, there, was, there were conversations had between Wright or his agent and someone like Rod Ellingworth sort of, can you guarantee us a tour start? No. Okay, then we're going to stay where we are, that sort of thing. But nonetheless, a, a rider that's worth keeping an eye on. Next on my little list here. Oh, correct, Pickcock Corrections Corner. Next on my little list here, we have a we have another corrections corner. This one is slightly more recent than the Harrogate Worlds from three years ago. What did we get wrong about Tom Pickock? Well, what we got wrong is we forgot to mention it that after he won on Abduez, and this is this is a very sort of thing that's maybe only important to us, which and maybe it's too self-indulgent. But when when we asked the question yesterday of in his press conference, it was just a question about how confident he was feeling at the start of the stage when he had to make the chase and then catching Lee Meinches. His first response was, oh, well, I was, I was confident the whole way through because Geraint Thomas had his white glasses back on, which means either he listens to this in between riding Tour de France stages, which would be shocking, and <laughs> you'd advise him to find something else very quickly. Or maybe he read Ian's article, but it's, it was just one of those moments where we need him to give us another signal. I feel. Well, what we is, need, what is the signal? The so, so I, I know Ooh. for a fact that there are pros in this bike race who listen to this podcast basically every night. Which is terrifying. Actually, it's terrifying, but also if you think about it, not that surprising because what else do they have to do? They're stuck in a hotel room, particularly in, in COVID times. They're in a bubble. They can't go anywhere. They're tired. Put the headphones in, listen to podcasts. There have never been more go. streaming options. <laughs> Ronan used to listen to the podcast in the morning after we'd recorded it in the in, in the hotel when we were waiting to leave, and I I would pretend to be like, you know what, you know what we talked about. You were you were there. Yeah, but if this is if this is a Pidcock corrections corner, you have to assume that he is just nailing that corner. <laughs> <laughs> that was superb, Josh. That was I'm, great. I'm, if you miss this, go check out the Cycling Tips Instagram account because Mikey has put it up there, and you can go see one of the one of the most spectacular corners at a Tour de France in some time. Maybe we should rename Corrections Corner Pickcock's Corner. <laughs> oh, we could. Okay, we've got two already for this. Yeah. The reason why Josh writes for the Wall Street Journal is because he was playing like 3D chess with that. As soon as Pidcock was mentioned, he put his hand up, grabbed the mic back from me, waited for a moment, like two minutes later, to just drop that in, and it was so natural. That was, that was beautiful work. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, no, we, we, need, we need some sort of sign. So if you are a pro cyclist at the Tour de France listening to this podcast and one of us walks by you, 
it's I don't pretty, know if they know it's pretty hard like. to identify us because, yeah. uh, like today, Tom, uh, who I've spoken to before, I approached him wearing a hat, sunglasses, and a mask, and he's just like, who the hell are you? And I, I work with his wife. I mean, we've exchanged, you know, conversations before. He does know who you are. Yeah. Didn't it's seem a bit like tricky. it. Well, so... Maybe they could say G'day in, a, in homage to our Australian roots as a maybe, company. Maybe they can be a regionally specific greeting. So it could be G'day Cobber for an Australian like me. It can be Oi Oi Geezer for you. And uh, a boy howdy for Kaylee. <laughs> I want to I count up how many millions of people have just been offended in, in the space of five seconds. No, the signal is if you listen to the podcast, keep pedaling silently. <laughs> nice. I like that. We've got them all. I've, I just can't wait for the boy howdies tomorrow. I'm going to water around the start, get all kinds of boy howdies. Speaking of which, we did bump into a, a listener today when we were having breakfast in Grenoble. We did. Shout out to Ethan. Yeah. Who, uh, we didn't catch his, he didn't tell us his last name. He was from smart, Canada. Smart Ethan, smart. Ethan from Canada. Ethan and he, from Canada. He was walking along the street and then just, he had his headphones in and then just turned to us and showed us his phone, which is how I've always imagined I would approach someone if I was a said podcast on the street. So, I'm literally listening to you right now. It was a very nice moment. Here's we forget guy. sometimes that essentially we're si- so we're we are currently sitting at a wooden table in Saint Etienne outside this weird place. But we're actually sitting in the middle of an entire football stadium full of people and we forget this sometimes until people come up and say hi. So my point being there is if you do see us out here at the Tour de France, if you're at the Tour, come say hello. We're you, using our, our regionally appropriate using code. Using our regionally appropriate code. Come say hello because we love it. It's great. It makes us feel good inside. And we would just love to say hi. But today we were sitting in a literal football stadium. We were, actually. At Saint-Étienne, which was the preeminent French club of the 1970s. Uh, Michel Platini, before he we went to Juventus, played there. Uh, and it was quite a good stadium. So... Damien McCall? Damien McCall. I think it's Damien McCall. McCall? McCall. AP? AP. Anyway, he's a great guy. From Bolton, lives in Paris. Yes, and he writes for the AP, uh, the Associated Press, and those sort of news wires. And he was telling us a bit about the stadium we finished at today. Josh, you're 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 the Wall Street Journal's European sports general reporter guy. I'm sure you have more information. There was there was like a, an England-Argentina game that happened in the stadium today. 1998, the notorious game. This is the game. That's the Beckham game where uh, David Beckham was sent off after lashing out at Argentina's Diego Simeone, kicked him in the back of the leg. And um, at that point, the game was 2-2. And was it 2-2? I'll have to double-check that. Uh, it ended 2-2, went to penalties, and England lost. But this was uh, a moment where, of national concern. Beckham was burned in effigy uh, in the streets. Oh, wow. This was, yeah. Wow. The newspapers called him a stupid boy, <laughs> which Clearly only the was. papers in Britain will do. <laughs> that was a simpler time in the British press when the worst they would say is stupid boy. We're in a much worse place now. But apparently the, the team that plays in that stadium was recently relegated out of Liga, and that was a, a great shame upon the entire city. And This was once the, the greatest club in French football, and uh, yeah, there were riots when they, when they went down. As there should be. It was a very nice stadium. 
Was, a lot of um, on either side, they also seem to have the safe standing thing, which they're reintroducing, which yeah. is really cool. They renew, they um, rejuvenated the stadium for the 2016 Euros, which had games here. England played here again against Slovakia. Our was that a draw? That was a draw, was it? Or did we win? It was the last game of the group. Our American audience is currently falling asleep. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but we all like a bit of soccer here. It's like American football without concussion. Well, just less, really. Yeah, fewer. It's, yeah. Uh, the concussion studies are coming now. Did you in just in grammar soccer. correct me, Josh, in real time? No, confirming. Jesus Christ. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. A little dopamine hit went off in my head. Let's. What else have we got in the bike race? We got some other interesting things in the bike race. So, uh, a series of. Well, we've been doing some in depth reporting around fines in this race. Now, we don't want to actually give away Ian's story because it is. Well, it's frankly, it's the story of the Tour de France. My next big scoop. <laughs> next massive scoop. So, we, we don't want to mention it on the podcast because it's not done yet and we don't want one of our competitors to steal it. So, we're going to pivot a little bit. And instead, talk to me about the enormous fines that Yumbo and UAE both got yesterday. I think this is one that uh, that Johnny was looking into. We we have concurrent uh, fine related stories. <laughs> we'll be one person by the end of the tour, and I, I don't just think merging good... together one by one. <laughs> yeah, they um, they Yumbo Visma and UAE Team Emirates missed sign on before the Abdouaz stage, which immediately you thought was due to them wanting to not, still not be in the heat. Is. You still think it is? I still okay. th I, I think that the the reason they gave you is bullshit. See, yes. I'm too I'm maybe too trusting of an individual and uh, they got fined a total of 8,000 US dollars, euros, pounds. I think it's all basically the same now, so there's interchangeable. Uh, yeah, the, the, um, Euro, the Euro and the US dollar are one to one as of like two days ago. All, all riders got fined. A sports director from each team got fined as well for being responsible for their, their boys, I guess. Um, and yeah, UAE paid a fraction less just because they have less riders. But apparently it, was, it wasn't because of the heat, it was because they did the media beforehand and then got ushered straight onto the start line. And that cost them £8,000, which goes straight into the UCI's dinner fund. Right, and the reason why... <laughs> it's true. Uh, and the reason why I think this is bullshit is because, well, the, like the timing is essentially done by the ASO. If they showed up late, it was probably purposeful. And because it was such a hot day, I think m the more likely reason why they missed sign-on, which is what the fines were for is that they were essentially just sitting in the bus in the AC with ice vests on until the last possible moment because the beginning of the of the stage went straight up the Galibier and so being having your core temperature cool being able to respond to attacks in those first couple kilometers those that was very very crucial and I think that that was probably the more likely reason why those fines were levied they say they, they, they say otherwise, and then we have no way of confirming either way. But that is my suspicion. Speaking of being very hot, uh, Ian. Hello. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> That's not actually where I was going, but it, it was too good to pass up. Uh, Josh, you've been you were you just actually published a story on the journal uh, about slushies in the Tour de France and the fact that these these well it's it's a an advanced food technology used to cool riders when it's extremely hot like it was today I'd go even further I'd say it's a secret weapon 
Mm. Um, it turns out that, you know, in the many techniques that are often quite low budget or low sophistication that uh, riders have for, for keeping cool, and, you know, this is these are techniques that include squirting water on yourself from your own bottle, <laughs> or buying ladies' pantyhose, filling them with ice, and then putting them down your jersey. Um, one of the most effective ways to stay cool at the Tour de France is a slushy before the stage. Um, and this is more effective than simple ice water or really most things. And it's proven. There are studies going back 10, 12 years in respected journals that say the slushy is effective at, at keeping your core temperature low, partially because of, you know, it's not ice, so it doesn't like shock your system, but it's also not just water, so it dissipates over longer periods of time. And these studies are rectally confirmed. Yes. Yeah, the, the, in the studies they were taking uh, temperatures in a very intimate way um, to confirm. And you know, in the first one, which dates back to 2010, what they found was that runners in a, uh, in a hot room on a treadmill who had ingested a slushy before, and this is recreational runners, uh, before the effort could go 50 minutes, while those who had just uh, had ice water went 40 minutes. Which is pretty significant if you think about it. Yeah, and so not too surprising that the teams are, are, are they have slushies, and so you've done some reporting around slushies, and we know that some certain teams have, have pretty advanced slushy operations, while others are, oh, frankly, they're in the, they're off the back on the slushy train. Well, I, I can reveal exclusively <laughs> that Team Ineos has not one, not two, but three slushy machines in which they are mixing up, uh, you know, more slushies than a fairground and uh, throwing, throwing basically energy drinks and, and various uh, electrolyte drinks onto the chip dice and, you know, putting three riders in the top 10 of the Tour de France. I've got, I've got two questions. One, has there been any adverse side effects such as brain freeze experienced? <laughs> With brain freeze, uh, urban legend in Australia, uh, around the 7-Elevens and whatnot, is that if you get a brain freeze, you stick your thumb against the roof of your mouth and then it goes away. Can you confirm whether or not that is the well, case? Well, you're just, you're just we regulating... we got two questions here. You're regulating the temperature. You're bringing it back to a sort of normal body temperature, I think. I actually think the thumb thing is correct. You can probably stick your tongue back there, too. You're just warming the temp sensors in the back of your head that think that you're freezing to death. The, the second thing, this is a question for the whole group, is that in the UK, you only ever have slushies when you're a child after you have a swimming lesson. That's like, that's, that's the only time that slushies are ever culturally appropriate. But since, and after the age of eight, so you never have a slushie again after that. Yeah, is but that I the can, case in other places? I can confirm that at Ineos, Gary Thomas is swimming beautifully these days. <laughs> I did talk to Tom's today, Tom Squinch, uh, friend of the podcast, obviously, uh, father of the podcast, generally, uh, partner of the podcast, what do we call him now? All three, I think. All three. Anyway, caught up with him briefly after the stage. He did confirm that Trek is also on the slushy train, uh, but their slushy machine has been broken for some time, apparently. It's unfortunate for Trek. They still make it, I think they just make it in a blender now. Yeah, they, they won a stage today. Yeah, they, But they're not they winning okay. the Tour de France. So, you know, these are the, the marginal gains. Do they have flavors? Do they have flavors of slushy? Like what? Tom said he just likes the, the straight water ones because then he can choose whether to ingest them or stick them, like, down his jersey. But I think they also do 
Yeah, that's, like like right. You wouldn't do that with one that you, like you've put a, an energy drink down because then you'd be sicky you'd be for 170k. <laughs> you mentioned that the the slushy has some special properties um, when ingested. Is it also the case externally? Like the the Ineos uh, gents, the boys uh, have ice baths after a stage. Should they be having a slushy bath? Yeah, because it is. They are. It's ice. They literally get a. A freezer and then dump ice in it, and after they the Sonia's there like stamping the ice. In yeah, the but ice these bar. are these are different situations, and if some medical professionals are listening to this, they'll probably have a better answer than I do. But one is, you know, you're having the slushy before you have to perform. So as Jonathan Vauders told me for the story, it's a really fine line. You're trying to bring cool. pleasure and pain. <laughs> it's all pain. Uh, it's the Tour de France. Come on. Uh, you're trying to cool the riders, not make them cold. Whereas for recovery, you know, when you're taking an ice bath, you are genuinely bringing the temperature way down. It's not something to make you feel colder. It's to help your legs recover. For the follow-up, uh, the question should be, which flavor do they prefer, red or blue? Because growing up, they were the two flavors. That, is that the same in 7-Eleven? You get two flavors, red or blue? They were very cagey, so they were not answering questions on colors. Are they not? Huh? Yeah. I think we have green in the States. Oh, man. They, what, they're just colors? In yeah, Australia, we've got, got uh, Coca-Cola, you've got a uh, strawberry one. They actually have names, they're not just colors, because that's insane. <laughs> There's you a would... lemon, lime, and bitters oh, one. Sure. You, have you, know, to... you know what flavor blue is? Blue, I do yeah, not blue know what flavor. flavor. Blue is blue. Blue. <laughs> yeah. blue is a crucial flavor for both slushies and candy as a kid. Ian, do you, do, and do the slushies, do you drink them out of a goon bag as well? Or do you get, yeah, a, do you get an actual like, receptacle? In the, in the press room today, there was a, um, a, like a, 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 bo wine, a box of wine, a box of wine uh, which was a novelty for some, but not for an Australian such as myself. And I, I pointed out that in Australia, if you take wine to a, a festival in a goon bag, once you've gotten rid of the, the wine, I haven't done this, by the way, I'm a, an introvert. I don't like being around people. But uh, once you've finished your, your goon bag, you uh, blow it up and then you've got yourself a pillow and you don't need to pack a pillow. So it's quite efficient in that way. But you didn't know what we were talking about when, you, when I asked if you slapped the bag. But I don't know what you mean. You just slapped the bag. You slapped the bag. Yes, yeah, slapped the bag. I think I just had the the Magnus Court story on my mind, and I was just <laughs> you didn't want to think you know, about I was, I was the thinking bag. in a different direction, and I I still don't understand, but I I accept that this is a tangent that I'm not on board with, and I I'm not the instigator of this one, and that's fine. Sometimes that can be the case. I'm good with this. Speaking of slapping the bag, I forgot yesterday. I did see a fella walking down Alp Duez just with a bag of rosé on his shoulder. Wait, who? Yeah, so a guy walking down Alp Duez with a bag of rosé. You showed me the picture. It's like slung like like a, like a mink, what are they called? Like a mink s scarf or stock? Yeah. Just around you gotta his... hydrate. Yeah, around there. Maybe that was a cooling device as well, and then he could and drink alphas. And then we slap the bag later in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody the... who went to college in America will know what slap the bag is. And it sounds like in... For uni in, well, in the UK. Well, as well. I live with um, people who played rugby, so the boys. they were always slapping once. Yeah, half of the boys <laughs> played rugby. Shout out to the boys. Shout out to the boys. Um, and they would they would slap slap the bag in a multitude of ways, and one of them was um, <laughs> slapping guineas. I'm gonna pull this back. I'm gonna pull this back now. Yeah, I feel before, like it's time. We, we spent a fair amount of time on on slushies and slapping the bag. Uh, I should have transitioned this better because I'm pulling us back to the most important competition in the Tour de France, which is, of course, Johnny, 
the Mayo Sablo. What's going on with the Mayo Sablo right now? Thank you very much for introducing that slowly to give me enough time to frantically <laughs> scroll and load up pro cycling stats, Kaylee. I have to say, the last time I was on the podcast, the last tour I was on the podcast was the introduction of the Mayo Sablo. Yeah. I'm so thrilled to hear that the tradition goes on. Oh, it, it continues. I mean, as far as traditions go, it's basically the Masters now. <laughs> Maybe we, maybe that's the prize we get them a jacket. Maybe we get them a a jacket. Why would you get a jacket for a mayo? That's ah, true. It's a mayo it. already. <laughs> I fallen at the first head off. Um, there is a t-shirt, and Andy needs to make a t-shirt again. Yeah, yeah. We've got a few t-shirts in the on the in the works now. Andy, got, bring back the t-shirt. We've got Turf de France. What was yep. it? There's another one. Uh, I can't remember. If you can't remember, then it probably is not Which, worth it. it. Yeah. So um, Turf de France and the Mayo is what we need. Well, and Jonas Vingergaard is going to win the yellow jacket. He will win the yellow jacket. The, um, there's a bit of a problem with today's Mayo Sablo. Uh-oh. Because, well, does anyone have a guess first before I give away a big clue over who it is? Is it the same? Has it not changed? It's changed. Oh. Uh, I'll tell you who was where yesterday's was. It was Magnus Court yesterday, wasn't it? It was. It was Court yesterday. Uh, well, he's not anywhere around there, so... He's busy helicoptering. Yes. He's got far too much on his plate. <laughs> and on his Snapchat story. Um, yeah, guesses. Any guesses? Who was close last time? Uh, I can't remember. This rider has moved up two places. I'll put you out of your misery. They're already wearing a classification jersey. Wild Van Aert? It's Wild Van Aert. One hour, three minutes, 39 seconds. Behind him, Hugo Hall from the breakaway today, who moved up eight places. One minute, six 09. So now we know why he was in the break. One more day in the break and Hugo could could take a stage win. Yeah. Or the Maya Sable. That, that's what I mean. A stage in the oh, Maya Sable. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, that gets awarded. To, oh, right. Yeah. God, this gets better every day. <laughs> the more I learn. Who's the young Maya Sable? Oh. <laughs> that would actually require prep, which um, famously, we, we don't do that around here for this podcast. So, Walt Van Aert is in the current Mile Sable. That, that's a pretty exciting thing. I mean, he's a, he's a big name rider, and I'm sure he's proud to be holding that jersey. Unfortunately, he can only wear one at a time, and so he's not going to be able to wear it. When oh, he so starts Hugo Hull is holding it. Hugo Hull might actually start in the Mile Sable tomorrow. I was just going to suggest does the green jersey definitely take precedent? And maybe, you know, Walt Van Aert at times, Ronan especially, has been a massive Walt Van Aert detractor until the last day when sort of on his tour deathbed, he was like, no, no, I no, I like him. Maybe this is a competition that he'll actually get excited about because everything, everything else, he doesn't seem to be, you know, that. Yeah, he seems pretty uh, uninspired by yeah. green. Maybe this is what he needs to get him back in the tour spirit. Go find him tomorrow and tell him. Mm. He's quite big in real life, so maybe that's a job <laughs> for someone else. Today's episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven and the Slurpee. Uh, when water's too wet and ice is too hard, Slurpee. Mmm, Slurpee. I'm proud of us today. Uh, I feel like we really stayed on track, and we did nothing but discuss the key pertinent issues of the bicycle race. Uh, if you have questions or complaints, please direct those to... I... I'll take them. I'll take them. <laughs> What's that? J. Dot long. No, but I mean, you know, genuinely. <laughs> Look, every every person in Tour de France has good days and bad days. Riders. Yeah, we've had podcasts. a we've had a bit of a day, and all of us are kind of cracking. And if you don't like today's semi banter cast, 
I would appreciate it if you would pretend that you enjoyed it anyway. Or just say nothing. Just say nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We had fun. We, we had fun making we it. We filled 40 minutes from a stage that didn't offer very much. <laughs> That's very true. Before we wrap up for today, we do want to pop over to Jose, and we're going to get a short history of Carcassonne, which is where we're headed pretty soon. In the official academy of one of the most loved, loved dishes in France, the cassoulet, which, as the press corps is already organizing a cassoulet dinner for that night, this works out perfectly. You know it's going to be 100 degrees in Carcassonne, right? It's going to be so hot, we're going to cassoulet anyway. That's why Mikey got one in the Alps uh, last week, in preparation. Just so we're all having a bit of duck banter, we were in a restaurant recently and somebody was about to order the duck and the waitress said, no, no, there is the virus of the duck. Nationwide. Yes, and I had and that, Mike two that days ago. Two days before. <laughs> and then I was very unwell. <laughs> Let's hear from Jose. We are two-thirds into the Tour de France, so one more week of daily history, cheese and facts to go? No, because as a bonus this year, I have facts and history and cheese every day of the Tour de France fam as well. Today's race starts features one of the most amazing castles straight away. The Chateau de Grandchamp is located on a small island located on Lake Grandchamp. The chateau is mentioned for the first time in 1173. And when the castle was built, it was located on a headland which rose about 50 meters above the Loire River. The construction of the Grandjean Dam in 1957 radically changed the situation by isolating the castle on a new island which makes for a stunning view. So tune in early for the stage and don't miss this fantastic castle. At 107 kilometers from the finish, we arrive in Puyon-Felet, where Balko Mollema won a stage in 2017. And here we find the amazing Saint-Michel d'Aguille Chapel. The special location of the chapel on top of a very narrow basalt rock was already considered exceptional early on in history. For example, the Romans would have worshipped the god Mercury on top of this rock. And during the rise of Christianity, the site was dedicated to the archangel Saint Michael. In the year 962, the construction of a chapel on this special location was started. And the first chapel was actually quite simple, but it attracted many pilgrims from far and wide. And this was also due to the fact that Le Puyon-Felet was the starting point of one of the routes to Santiago de Compostela. In the 12th century, the chapel was further expanded, including the restoration and further expansion of the original frescoes. Thanks in part to the presence of these special frescoes, the chapel of Saint-Michel d'Aguille is known as one of the most special sites in the Auvergne region. For centuries, it looked as if the original frescoes had been lost until about 1850, when the plaster was removed and the original amazing frescoes re-emerged. Well, this is also the region of many cheeses and today I have a recipe again with another trillion calories. About 15 years ago, my now husband and I were on holiday in the region. In a restaurant, I wanted to try the menu bergère or the shepherd's menu. It was called aligo. And since it involved cheese, I did not need much convincing. What happened next is something my husband reminds me of every year again. Because the look of disappointment on my face seeing a pile of potato mash with a sausage stuck in it was priceless, he says. 
But if you still want it, here is the recipe. First, you need potatoes, a kilo for four people. Then you have to get 100 grams of butter and 250 grams of fresh cream. And finally, the cheesemonger will get you 400 grams of fresh Laguiola cheese. To prepare an aligo, start by cutting the fresh cheese into strips. Leave it at room temperature while you prepare mashed potatoes. Add the butter and the cream, salt and pepper. And once the mashed potatoes are hot and seasoned, add the cheese. Depending on your taste, a little crushed or finely chopped garlic can be added to the preparation of the aligo. The mash must be worked for a very long time to obtain a very elastic texture. It is essential to let it melt and then turn, turn, turn with a big spatula. But be careful, you must turn it regularly and always in the same direction. Sore arms guaranteed, reads the recipe. Finally, today's finish is in Marde, and one of the most memorable stage wins in recent years took place here at the Monte Laurent Jalabert. A very young and upcoming Thibaut Pinot and Romain Bardet were on their way to battle it out for the stage win. And France was euphoric, but on Mandela Day, representing MTN Quebecer and wearing a very special dedicated helmet, Steve Cummings outsmarted the two youngsters and won the stage. Thanks, Jose, for putting that together. Uh, while, while Jose was, was giving us that little update, Josh, <laughs> you just blurted out, I have such good best of day facts. Like an absolute madman. <laughs> which, which well, we, we honestly we can't leave. I'm glad you bring up absolute madman because this is where I'm going with my uh, Bastille fact. The Bastille, of course, of course, uh, was the famous prison in Paris where the king could send people with merely a signature. But while it has huge symbolic value for the revolution, the I didn't know France that. I thought freedom, it was named after your neighborhood. <laughs> the neighborhood is where the prison was. Ah. There were very few prisoners in it at the time the revolutionaries stormed it. It was more actually because there was an arsenal in the basement. So they were going for guns and gunpowder. But there were a few prisoners in there, and one of them was the Marquis de Sade. Really? Yes. Uh, why would I make that up? <laughs> Who is this? Who's the Marquis de Sade? I'll let you Google it on your own time. Is it not, is it not safe for work? Extremely no. Oh, great. <laughs> great. It's a nice way to end the podcast, isn't it? Everyone just frantically Googling something that will make them... Incognito window, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, my Bastille fact. That's a superb Bastille fact. I should also mention the fact that um, sometimes I make jokes on this podcast that make me seem dumber than I am. I, I know that <laughs> I know that Bastille Day is not named after Josh's neighborhood in Paris. But, but it's a great neighborhood. It's to a be great fair. neighborhood. It's a fantastic neighborhood. I think it's time to wrap up. I think it's time to end this thing. Put everybody out of their joy. I was going to say misery, but it's joy. It's nothing but joy. We, of course, will be back tomorrow with another stage. Are we into the Massif Central tomorrow? Is that where we're going? Mont? Mont de Rodet? We're going to Mont. It's no, Saint Etienne to Mont. Saint Etienne to Mont, and it's. It's really just the middle of the bottom of France. Yeah, the middle of the bottom of France. On the tic-tac-toe board, it would be sort of a, an eight. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. We love making these podcasts from the Tour de France. We hope you love listening to them. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Tour Daily episode from probably Mond, but possibly Rodet. 
We, we don't, Rodez. Sorry, we say, we say Z's now. We're out of the Alps, as you said. Yeah, okay, Rodez. Possibly Mond, possibly Rodez will be somewhere tomorrow, and we will bring you another podcast. Thank you, as always. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.